Melissa Harrison here with our latest edition of the Religion Unplugged podcast. Today we're talking with A.J. Jacobs, author of The Year of Living Biblically, about his book, Thanks a Thousand, A Gratitude Journey. Our executive director, Paul Gladder, sat down with Jacobs in our studio. Let's listen in. I'm here to talk with our guest, A.J. Jacobs, who's a writer, best-selling author of several different books. Um, his most recent book is called Thanks a Thousand, uh, a gratitude journey, which we want to hear about. And there's his previous work touched on religion, and so that's what we're going to get into and check up on. But AJ, tell us about this book, Thanks a Thousand. What is, what is this, uh, this book about? Well, this one uh, came about because I had read so much about the importance of gratitude, uh, partly while doing a project on the Bible, which talks about gratitude. And uh, so I, uh, I wanted to start a ritual of gratitude in my own life. But as I say in the book, I'm not very religious. So uh, instead of saying a prayer of thanksgiving to God, I thought I would start a, uh, a meal with a prayer thanking some of the people who were involved in making this a, uh, the meal. So I would say thank you to the, the farmer who grew the tomato and the, the grocer who sold the tomato to me. And my son, who was 10 at the time, said, you know, Dad, that, that's fine, but it's also kind of lame because those people aren't here. You can't, they can't hear you. If you really cared, you would go out and thank them in person. And I thought, well, that is a very interesting idea. And uh, I, I thanked him for his idea, for earning his supper. And I uh, set off on this adventure, and I focused on coffee because I thought it would be good to focus on a single thing. And uh, I spent several months traveling the world and thanking people in person and by email and by phone for even the smallest part. So it could be the farmer of the coffee beans, but also the logo designer for the coffee shop or the, um, the guy who made the roads that the trucks go on to carry my coffee beans. Uh, and there are thousands of people involved in every little thing we do. So it was a, a total eye-opener and uh, fascinating and uh, a joy to research. Mm -hmm. uh, the PC wrote in the Wall Street Journal about this book and this process, you you noted the global nature of <clears throat> the cup of coffee that you had. And I'm sort of curious, you know, there's a, a pushback toward globally right now, there's a pushback toward regionalism and nationalism, regional economies. And do you think it's um, uh, possible to make cups of coffee based in America so you don't have to journey all over the world? Or did what, what did your research on that indicate to you? Well, that is a good question. I I think right now, yes, it is a um, one of the points of the book was to show that it doesn't take a village to make a cup of coffee. It takes the world because the coffee beans are grown in Colombia. Um, the parts of the the furnace for the steel, the bricks are made in China. I mean, I could have spent the last ten more years traveling the world uh, because it's such an interconnected economy, and. Uh, and in part, this was sort of a uh, trying to show that globalism has good parts and bad parts. But overall, I think it is better for the world and that we should resist this tribalism, this uh, extreme nationalism, which is uh, having a little upsurge right now, and uh, trying to remind people 
that we live in a global world and that uh, try to uh, uh, tamp down this us versus them mentality. Uh, so that was one of the big themes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you noted that the idea um, related to your earlier book, the uh, Europe Living Biblically, right? Right. Um, I was reading on your, your author page there you were, when you were, de- you were describing sort of the, some of what led you to the, the book, and I wonder, um, I, I, I think uh, on the coastal cities in, in the U.S. and maybe other big cities in different parts of the world, sometimes it's easy for us to... I think, uh, minimize religion mm. or its role in the world. And you touch on that, I think, in the, the pages. So could you tell us about how this idea, emer- idea emerged for you and how you convinced a publisher to let you do this project? Of course. <clears throat> well, uh, yeah, as I say in the book, I grew up with little to no religion. Uh, I, I say I'm Jewish, but I'm Jewish in the same way the Olive Garden is Italian. So not very, no offense to the Olive Garden. <laughs> but, uh, but I had a son and uh, at the time, this was 10 years ago, and uh, I had a newborn son. And I also was, um, uh, was just interested to see that uh, yeah, religion was not going away. It remained a huge force. Uh, and so I wanted to explore it. And I like to explore things first person. That's sort of my... Uh, my mo so i thought well what if i wrote a book exploring the bible by actually living it by walking in the footsteps of our forefathers and foremothers and uh and, and following every rule of the bible as literally as possible so that's what i did and um i, I thought it would be an interesting book i wrote a proposal and the pu- publisher liked it Partly because just what you said, religion is such a big force, and I think it's underreported. Uh, and I, um, so I spent the year following every rule, the famous ones, like the Ten Commandments and love your neighbor, but also the lesser-known ones, especially from the Old Testament, like uh, don't shave the corners of your beard. And it's hard to know where the corners are, so I just let the whole thing grow until I looked like uh, Ted Kaczynski, and uh, I spent a lot of time at airport security, and uh, and also, you know, the Bible says don't wear clothes made of mixed fibers. Uh, so I got rid of all of my poly cotton blends. You know, I went all in. I wanted to follow everything, and it was fascinating, and I loved it, and I wanted to uh, the book to show the. Um, I wanted it to be a nuanced book so that it wasn't uh, an endorsement of religion, but it also wasn't an indictment of religion. I wanted to show that what I believe is true, that religion has wonderful parts and uh, is a, a force for good often, but it also has uh, dangerous parts that if uh, it can be used to justify um horrible behavior. So uh, I wanted to show both sides. And mm-hmm. hopefully uh, I got that across. Yeah. And I, when the book came out 10 years ago, I mean, I remember it being, you know, reviewed in the big papers and magazines and on the radio, and it seemed like it was everywhere. And uh, what, what was that like? Um, what kinds of, uh, were you still wearing the beard and the robes and uh, during the book tour? Uh, I did not have the beard and robes. I had shaved it off after the year. Um, 
So no sandal, <clears throat> but I did have lots of pictures of my beard and that I think helped a lot in marketing. And I was actually, I was very nervous when the book was coming out because I thought it was going to be super controversial. But I was really lucky or happily surprised with the reaction because uh, I think the um, like, you know non-religious people liked that I showed some of the uh, the problems with taking the Bible fun literally and fundamentalism. I sort of ex tried to expose fundamentalism as a terrible idea. Um, but religious people were happy that I, you know, I, I took it seriously. I did want to see the good side. So it was funny to be able to, you know, I spoke at lots of atheist meetings, but I also spoke at tons of churches and synagogues. And uh, yeah, that, it turned out just from a purely mercenary point of view, uh, it was actually a good decision because people, you know, I got both markets. I got the atheists and the religious people. Yeah. So thank God for that. Right. Although right. I, I'm an agnostic. So. You're still an agnostic. Okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you started as an agnostic before the project and still there, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, what, one of the interesting advisors, because I had a bunch of advisors. I had ministers and rabbis and uh, scholars and atheists, but one of them had an interesting analysis of religion, which is uh, the three Bs. So belief, belonging, and behavior. So belief in God, uh, belonging to a, a community like your church or synagogue, and then behavior, which is uh, either the rituals you do or the ethical behavior that the religion endorses. So I always say, you know, I, I, I like, I kind of, um, two of the three resonated with me. I do see the I do see the advantages of having a community, as long as that community doesn't evolve into tribalism. There's like a difference between community and tribe, so being open to other communities and not insular. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and then I also I do see the loveliness of some rituals, like you know I'm uh, I'm Jewish. I do like I don't believe the story of Passover actually happened like it says, but it's a if you do sort of a soft focus and think of it as, you know, about justice and liberation, and it's quite a lovely ritual. So I, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I see the advantages of the two Bs, but I never got that third B. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, by focusing your year on the Old Testament, especially, I imagine that all three Abrahamic faiths, Judaism, maybe Islam as well, and Christianity could see some value. Did you, curious about your readership from the different communities and the results in the last 10 years um, and response and, you know, where you've spoken, did uh, did all three sort of find some affinity in the work or more some yeah. than others? Well, no, I was, it was very interesting because, yes, a lot of, uh, I didn't get as much uh, reaction from the Muslim community, but Christian and Jewish communities both were very interested because, yeah, like, you know, the Old Testament is, of course, a big part. And, and I did explore uh, the New Testament some. Uh, I, originally, when I conceived the book, it was going to be six months on the Old Testament and six months on the New. But when I actually did it, it turned out to be nine months on the Old and three months on the New. 
And if I did it again, I might even split it up into two different books. But the uh, the reason the Old Testament got uh, a longer shrift is that I, uh, first of all, I'm Jewish, so I sort of felt more comfortable in my own tradition. And secondly, a lot of it was about the rules of the Bible. And it is the Old Testament is more of a rules-based approach. The New Testament has, it has a bunch, so I was able to explore that. Um, but I also loved, part of the book was visiting religious communities to see how they interpreted the Bible literally or not. So I loved being able to spend time with uh, different Christian uh, denominations, like I spent some time with the Amish, uh, which is fascinating. Pennsylvania, or where did yeah, you go? Yeah, I went to Pennsylvania. I stayed over, and um, I mean, they're funny interview because they they believe you know their words should be um, few and wise, so they're not chatterboxes. So right. <laughs> interviewing them was a challenge, but I got I even got an Amish joke. The guy told me an Amish joke, uh, so which I can what tell was you. It? Yeah. Well, he said, "Well, what was it? It was like, what's the difference between?" Um, what happened when the Amish man married the Mennonite woman? She yeah. drove him buggy. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Well, for an Amish guy, that's like, you know, Chris Rock material. That's like yeah. stellar. Oh, yeah. 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 So uh, so you did real reporting here, too. Was uh, Not just on your own life, trying to follow the Old Testament uh, in New York City, but by visiting and reporting on other faith communities. Exactly. I love, when I write, I love to... Uh, combine just those two, the sort of the my own experience, but also reporting on the world at large. Because I and and I like to read that too. I don't think you know I'm not delusional enough to think that my own life is the only one that's interesting. So uh, I use my life as a, an excuse to report on the world. Yeah. Um, so any other favorite anecdotes, most hilarious experiences you had reporting this? Um, well, I, I mean, there were two types of, uh, as we discussed, there's, you know, visiting other communities, which was fascinating. So visiting, uh, well, I did uh, explore the Jehovah's Witness movement, and um, I live in New York City, so they actually don't come over to your apartment. Uh, very, You don't get the door knocks, so I had to request one, which is already <laughs> a little weird. And then um, he came over, and I, I am proud of this. I think I'm one of the only people who has ever out-Bible talked a Jehovah's Witness. He came over, and after like three and a half hours, he's looking at his watch. He's like, I got to go. I got oh, I got, I got a life. But uh, I was just so fascinated with this point of view and um, that I could have kept talking much longer. So there was that. But then there were the experiences that were trying to translate the Bible, which has some very ancient practices and uh uh, and rules into modern day life. So in the Hebrew scripture, you know, it says that you have to stone adulterers. And I'm like, how am I going to do this? Right. Um, so I, I was able to stone one adulterer. I'll tell oh. you quickly, which oh, was, wow. <laughs> I was in Central Park and I was dressed, I was into it. So I had my beard and my sandals and my robe. And a guy came up to me and said, what's going on? Why are you dressed like that? And I explained, well, I'm trying to follow all the rules of the Bible from the Ten Commandments to stoning adulterers. And he said, well, I'm an adulterer. Are you going to stone me? And I said, well, 
that would be fantastic. Thank <laughs> you for that offer. And I took out a pile of stones from my pocket because I have been carrying around <laughs> stones for ages, hoping to run into an adulterer. And they, just so you know, they were small. They were like pebble size because I, I knew I didn't want to kill the guy. So I showed him. I was like, these would be what I stone you with. He grabbed them out of my hand. He's very aggressive and threw them at my face. So wow. I thought an eye for an eye is also mentioned in the <laughs> Bible. And I tossed one back at him. And that's how oh, I, gotcha. I was able to check that off my list. But it allowed me to talk about, you know, it, I think one thing that I love is taking something ridiculous, but then... So I wrote about that for a page, but then I could write two pages on, you know, how can we reconcile that the Bible has some of these really harsh ancient punishments with, um, you know, how can we make that relevant today, if at all? Like, how can we, um, uh, you know, what does it mean to, um, to modernize the Bible or... or does it evolve, or should we be stoning people still? And uh, fundamentalism, you could talk about all is an, a window into that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, so I, I imagine you were you were on the nine month on the Old Testament reporting at that phase because that's right. I, I that's guess right. You know, like exactly on yeah. the spectrum of fundam, you know fundamentalism or extreme fundamentalism with any of the world religions. Is is also just so listeners know, we don't think the entire all, all religion. Uh, command stoning adulterers. Oh right? no! Yeah, yeah, I highly, uh, I highly discourage stoning adulterers. <laughs> yeah. So please do not to do that. But it is interesting that um, it allowed me to talk about if you take some of these texts literally, mm -hmm. then you are going to be acting in a very brutal manner. So I think religion at its best is able to adapt and mm -hmm. really. Um, uh, sort of retranslate for modern times. And uh, because, yeah, otherwise, and that was one of the points of the book is there are millions of Americans who say they take the Bible literally. And that's why they believe in young earth creationism, that the world is 6,000 years old. That's why they say that homosexuality is a sin because it does mention a couple of times in the Bible. Um, but part of my point was, yes, the Bible says that, but it also says don't wear clothes made of mixed fibers. And it also says, you know, slavery never condemns slavery. So um, you're not really taking the Bible literally. You're taking parts of the Bible literally. You are cherry picking. And it, I think it's okay to cherry pick. It's all about cherry picking the right parts mm. to me. And the right parts to me are... The parts about compassion, about loving your neighbor, about accepting outcasts. Uh, and so that's what resonated with me. And, uh, and there are one of the people I profiled were the, what they called themselves, red-letter Christians. Mm -hmm. And they are, believe in, in some Bibles, you know, Jesus' words were written in red. Hmm. So they's like, that's what we're going to focus on. And they point out, you know, they have a... They have a pamphlet that says, here's what Jesus said about homosexuality. And you open it up, and it's empty. Hmm. So their point is, Jesus talked about the poor. He talked about outcasts. He talked about forgiveness. That's what they focus on instead of homosexuality, abortion, uh, and, and other issues like that. Mm -hmm. So... Um, 
Well, you said you studied philosophy in college at, at Brown, and uh, I think in, when it comes to interpreting religion, it takes theology and philosophy, and and so you were trying, you were you know studying the text, right, and trying right. to live it. And so, what what kind of interplay in the reporting and the writing, um, you know, um, did, in terms of theology, theologians, and, and figuring out how do people uh, interpret or cherry pick, as you said, uh, these different ways, and and what you know, what kind of how should we live in a way, um, uh, from your perspective, as someone who tried to live the code, the word, right. the text? Yeah. Well, I, uh, yeah, I mean, when I, there's a quote, I think it was William Yates, or, um, but he said, you know, we both read the Bible day and night, you see black and I see white. Uh, so that to me is, is true. You can interpret the Bible in radically different ways and focus on different parts of the Bible. And to me, um, yeah, just in terms of philosophy, I, um, I mean, I like the, I think the golden rule is a really solid rule. I'd actually, I, I prefer the platinum rule. I don't know mm. if you know the platinum rule. Because yeah, the golden sure. rule is treat others as you would have them treat you. you know, do unto others as mm -hmm. uh, you would have them do unto you. Um, which is great, and I think the world would be much better if we all follow that. Um, the one catch on that is, like, we, we have slightly different tastes. So, you know, if you are a huge lover of, I, I don't know, strawberry ice cream and someone else hates it, and you buy them strawberry ice cream as a gift, that's not really great. So the platinum rule is just a little tweak on it where it says, do unto others as you would have. Do unto others as they would have you do unto them. Hmm. So just getting inside the other person's mind mm -hmm. and seeing what they want, as opposed to just imposing your own. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, to me, uh, the the part of, about religion that we that make the world a better place are compassion thinking about others mm -hmm. i mean you look at what they what religion did for the civil rights movement mm -hmm. um and i think slavery is actually an interesting case because you had people who used the bible for to um advocate for emancipation mm -hmm. but you also had people use mm. the bible to say that it was biblically approved and mm. and uh, that the descendants of cain were meant to be slaves by god uh, the mark of Cain. So it's uh, mm -hmm. it's complicated, but yeah, if you can just take a step back and just say, you know, how can we make the world a better place? And whatever tools we can use to make that happen, to make more kindness, more compassion, mm -hmm. that to me is what's important. Yeah, and I think C.S. Lewis and others. I mean, C.S. Lewis had talked had talked about uh, the Tao, the idea of a, the Tao, where there are, you know, it's like a Venn diagram with the major world religions. There's a, a, a uh, center there where they agree on a lot of things around honesty or around sort of compassion or you know various things and that's what we should try to focus on to create space mm. you know that, and um, uh, you know that that religion if, if there's a way uh, to in well, my view personal view is that um, you know freedom of religion is in our constitution in the US freedom of religion freedom of the press are in the same amendment to the constitution mm. And I, I sort of think that's, man, if that was a something practiced in the world, what kind of a better place would we be in where there was more freedom, more space of belief 
Oh, absolutely. I think as a yeah. way to accept and understand others' beliefs as well. Right. No, I think that's super important. And uh, yeah, respecting others. Uh, and um, I mean, it was interesting when the Pittsburgh, uh, the Pittsburgh uh, tragedy where mm -hmm. the, uh, the shooting at the synagogue. I did some research and I found that my third great uncle was one wow. of the founders of that. Wow. And what I loved is when I read his obituary, he he was a Jew, but his obit the speakers at his obit at his funeral were a rabbi and a Christian minister, which hmm. is super unusual at the time and still is, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but he was really involved in the um in like interfaith relations and trying to sh help uh, the they they teamed up to help the, with the needy and the poor mm. and uh, I loved that so I thought that was uh, I I wrote about that because I was like this is this is a way to combat the darkness of this guy who is so obsessed with differences. And yeah. instead, focus on, like, we can band together to help. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this, the book, it came out 10 years ago, and I noticed it was translated into German. It's like, die, die Bibel und ich, the Bible and I. <laughs> right. Um, wh where has it been translated? What In the last 10 years now, what's what, what have been the results in terms of the impact of the book, where it's gone, what what's happened from it? Yeah, it has... Uh, it was translated into about 15 languages, which was lovely. I got a lot of emails from around the world. And, um, and also, it, uh, they, um, even from the very start, the moment it came out, they were trying to turn it into a TV show or a movie. So I got to see the hilarious and crazy uh, uh, way that Hollywood works and um, and eventually, just last year, it was turned into a CBS show uh, called Living Biblically that lasted 13 episodes. And yeah. uh, I always say, you know, the, the, you know, the religious phrase, uh, hate the sin, love the sinner. Uh -huh. uh, that's the way I felt about the show. <laughs> I, lo I loved the, um, the people who put it on, like okay. the actors and the writers. I was not as fond of the actual show that resulted. And it was huh. it was very loosely based on me and my book. Uh, they changed the name of the guy to uh, Chip. He became from Jewish. He became a lapsed Catholic. Uh -huh. And um, and they didn't focus. I liked my, my book to focus partly on the most bizarre parts of the Bible and the most relevant and useful because i wanted to show you don't have to take everything in the body you can't ignore some stuff right um but the but the tv show was more of like a morality play where the guy became you know one would be on lying and he tried to stop lying for an episode which i have a chapter in my book about that but they didn't do they didn't they didn't even let him grow the beard because CBS was afraid that it would scare off middle America. So uh, to me, uh, that was a big problem, not showing, not taking a stand against fundamentalism, which I think mm. has become more of a problem since the book came out. Yeah, yeah. You mean more religious fundamentalism or political fundamentalism or both? Or? Yeah, both. Yeah. Just the idea of, um, yeah, the the idea of uh, of rigidity and 
Uh, you know, I think that that I, I think it's uh, I am not a fan of the fact that the religious right played a large part in electing our current president. I think because you know, if you take Jesus's message, and I'm no expert, so but this is from my own experience, like that this uh, administration is not following the message, uh, especially the parts about compassion and helping others. Um, so, yeah, I find that the sort of the, uh, the, the radical, the, the rigid right-wing mm -hmm. aspect of religion, I find disturbing. Yeah, well, and I, I agree with your analysis on our, our current president. And one thing that strikes me as... Um, frankly odd is that it was the religious right who was opposing you know bill clinton you can okay take bill clinton had some of the same personal mm. character flaws in terms of you know adultery or for example if you want to if that's an important um piece of analysis for you and so i heard the religious right during the 90s saying this person you know bill clinton's unfit for office he's an adulterer mm. and but yet when the current candidate, uh, Trump, I've, I've you know had conversations with some people who support him and say, well, God's got him there. Um, you know, who knows? She's probably lying, or you know, we don't know about mm. that. That's not that's between him and God. Mm. Um, Interesting. Uh, where to me, the evidence is quite uh, convincing that that he's a serial adulterer, and so that that is one example where I think there's a little bit of hypocrisy. Yeah. Sometimes here, I think uh, well in, said. In play. And I think uh, that's one of our big problems in the world is motivated reasoning. So, like, you know, you decide uh, on something and then whatever the evidence is against it, you refuse to budge. Mm -hmm. And you only see things uh, through one point of view. And uh, I think that's dangerous. Yeah, yeah. So 10 years later, what's, what's um, the book's impact on you, the change for you? It sounds like your own beliefs didn't change, but in terms of your own, like the experience from the reporting and uh, where it's taken you, curious what, anything else, how... No, well, it uh, definitely had a huge impact on me. I mean, on my worldview, the idea of gratitude, which is big in the Bible, I, uh, I really embraced that and wrote the book on gratitude, was inspired by that. Uh, in terms of like just my own morality, I, I do love, I loved part of trying to have this moral makeover and be more, uh, you know, more generous, more compassionate, and more, um, uh, you know, l less covetous. And, uh, it, you know, I, I'm still, I think, uh, a, a, you know, an incredibly selfish person because I'm a human. But I think yeah. this has helped me move, like, maybe 20%, 30% in a better direction. And I, um, and then just in terms of... Uh, I actually, I love the idea of a community. So I am part of, um, like, my uh, synagogue's community a little, but I think it doesn't have to be a religious community. The idea is a community that you can get together with um, shared goals and support each other. There's so much evidence that that is really crucial for your health, really crucial for making political change. So I'm also part of a community called Effective Altruism, hmm. which is this community where they try to sort of apply super rational, like Wall Street type uh, statistics 
to charity and figure out what are the most effective charities. Hmm. And I have fallen in love with their point of view and uh so i and i love the people there because they're so passionate and they're so good at looking at the big picture like what is it we should be you know don't just because you know don't just give to one because uh they've got a great commercial like let's look at what really works Hmm. yeah fascinating um so your new book thanks a thousand um People can, where can they buy it if they want to buy this or your, or your earlier book? They can buy it at any independent bookstore. I'm a fan of those, but it's also on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and uh, pretty much anywhere. I mean, I, I do, I say I'm, I am a total hypocrite. So I say I love independent bookstores, which I do, but I also buy a lot for my Kindle because it's just so convenient to have like 50 books in my pocket. Yeah, and sometimes it's maybe hard to find an independent bookstore in sure. some parts of the country or world. So, yeah. yeah. So but check still out. wonderful, so still go to them. Yeah, so check out The Year of Living Biblically, which we've talked about, and check out A.J. Jacobs' new book, Thanks a Thousand. Thanks for being here with us, A.J. Um, thanks for, on behalf of all of our listeners at Religion Unplugged. Thank you, Paul. I loved it. Thanks a thousand. <laughs> you're, you're welcome a thousand. <laughs> And you've been listening to a conversation between our executive director, Paul Gladder, and author A.J. Jacobs about his latest book, Thanks a Thousand. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Please take a moment to follow our podcast and to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also check us out online at religionunplugged.com and themediaproject.org.